Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Jatillo Coster. Happy New Year, friend. I hope you had an amazing holiday season, both in your business and your life. It feels really weird to record a podcast episode right now because it's been a minute, but I'm excited to kick off this year with a series of episodes that are designed to set you up for success in 2023. If you're on my email list, you probably heard the story about my very energetic and lovable nephew who drove us a little batty on Christmas Eve, which inspired this little series. Before we dive into the details of today's episode, I also want to encourage you to listen to all of the replays I shared in December. These were all super valuable guest episodes sharing ideas and strategies that should fuel your plans for the new year and complement what we're going to be discussing here this month, which I'll give you a sneak peek into at the end of the episode. For today, we're talking about the seven characteristics of seven-figure business owners. We're starting with this because it really does set the stage for everything that comes after, and I want to make sure you understand the direction we're going in for the next few weeks, and there may be a few mindset shifts you'll have to make along the way. One last note before we dive in. This isn't a magic formula. Having all seven of these things doesn't equal success and not having all seven doesn't equal failure. But when Nicole, my co-host in the lounge and I, dug into the characteristics and habits of our best performing clients, these were the things they all had in common. Number one, a clear niche. At the end of the day, you can't be everything to everyone. Many of us are afraid to niche down because we think casting a wider net will bring us more sales. And while that can work, in most cases, it actually dilutes your message. And you've probably heard me say, if you're trying to talk to everyone, you're talking to no one. This is exactly what I'm talking about. When you niche down and cater to a specific customer, problem, or solution, you ultimately go further faster and your job becomes way easier. Not only is it a lot easier to create content that your perfect customer will love, but it's easier to build ad audiences. It's easier to say no to shiny objects because it doesn't make sense for your person. And it makes you referable. You become known for something. How did you first discover me? Was it because you heard of the Clavio email girl? When I first started my business, it was in the wake of the MailChimp and Shopify breakup. Tons of people were switching to Clavio, but didn't know how to use the platform. So I stepped in to support them. Are Clavio and email marketing the only way I can help e-commerce business owners? Nope. But I didn't want to confuse the market. 
I wanted people to know exactly what I could do for them in a matter of seconds. I wanted other service providers to hear their clients needed help with email and immediately think of me. Once I got these potential clients into my ecosystem and solved their immediate problem of fixing their email marketing, then I would say, hey, I can also help you with XYZ. Over time, I have started to talk about a lot more than just email to my audience, especially as a podcast host. And I've even started creating some digital products to support those other things as well. But truth be told, now it's harder to market my different offers or products. For instance, when someone signs up for my email list, they're signing up for the resource library. I initially created the library because it was getting too hard to manage all the different freebies with different landing pages and forms. I probably created too many things. But now when someone signs up, I don't actually know what they're interested in or what they need help with right now. So marketing anything else to them is more difficult. There are definitely ways around this and I will be focusing on actually setting up some proper email marketing this year to support all of that. But it's going to be a fair amount of work to make sure the right person is getting the right message at the right time. If I were still only focused on email marketing, that would be a lot easier. I would just need to know things like how many subscribers they had and whether or not their product was consumable to lead them in the right direction. But now I need to know and understand a lot more about their business and product before I can make the best recommendation for them. Let me give you a couple of product biz examples and then we'll move on to number two. We're going to spend the most time here though, because it is the most important. I have a previous client who sells yarn and it's not just any yarn. It's very woolly wool that she imports from Europe and the UK. It has a lot of character and typically only intermediate to advanced knitters are going to want to use it. Now, there are a whole lot of beginner knitters out there that we can create content for to attract, right? And pretty easily. Creating great blog posts, giving knitting education. They would rank super well with Google and bring tons of traffic. But that's not her customer, Sure, if they want to find her and want to buy her stuff, we wouldn't turn them away, but we're not going to go out of our way to attract them. Another example is Megan Tejas of Glass Ladder, who's been on the podcast and was one of those December replays. She started with just a portfolio and a pen set. Then as the business grew, she expanded into handbags and wallets. But they all have the same thread that holds them together, and it's all about intentional design and epic organization. She also uses vegan leather, which is some of the best vegan leather I've ever seen or touched, honestly. And while that and sustainability is a part of her overall brand mission, she doesn't lead with that. And she isn't out there making vegan leather jackets or shoes. Instead, she's iterating on her existing designs and creating new ones based on the feedback from her customers. Does it mean that she never could or never would make those things? Not necessarily, but that's a whole other ballgame instead of circumstances she would have to deal with from a marketing perspective. And one more example, Jessica Principe of All Girl Shave Club. One of the downsides of being first to market is that venture-backed competitors usually swoop in afterward to take their share, and that's exactly what happened to Jessica. At the time, she spoke to an advisor of hers who gave her two options. One, raise capital and go up against them, 
or carve out your own little niche. Which one do you think she opted for? You can tune in to episode 20 of the podcast to find out. All right, I think you get the point, right? Don't be afraid to be specific about who your perfect customer is. You don't have to be everything to everyone, and you shouldn't be. Number two, knowing their customer. One of the benefits of niching down is truly understanding your customer and what they want or need from you. You can speak to the specific outcome they're looking for in the exact language they use to describe that outcome. This is how you get them to say, they get me. It's how you get to create content that really connects with them. While my background is in corporate, when I ventured out on my own, I knew I wanted to work exclusively with small business entrepreneurs. Could I have created some high-level corporate training program that demanded a super high price tag? Probably, but I didn't want to. My people are the ones who put their blood, sweat, and tears into their business, who want to spend more time with their family, who want to travel, and who want to binge Netflix. Because that's who I am, and I understand what it's like to want those things, but feel like I'm drowning in my business. I know how to talk to those people. Even in the corporate space, while I did it successfully for a long time and can hold my own in those rooms, I never quite felt like I fit in. So why try? It's a whole lot easier to just talk to the people I can easily relate to. Let's use Megan as an example again. If you don't already know, all of her bags, size permitting, have cup holders in them. So when she creates Instagram reels and TikTok videos, she's often talking about her love of coffee or her collection of water bottles. There's one video in particular, which she's probably created more than once, but it just kind of sticks in my head, is a skit of her walking into work late with her coffee hidden in her bag. Her customer can relate to that because they've probably done it. I, on the other hand, was the manager who watched their employees roll in late with the Starbucks cups in their hands, and it used to drive me nuts. At least if it was hidden in their bag, I wouldn't have known the difference. When you really know who your customer is, you can make them feel seen and heard. You can connect with them. And ultimately, as humans, that's pretty much all we want in life. Number three, they lean into content and email marketing. Now, before you tune out of this one, know that content doesn't automatically mean reels and TikTok. Sometimes it's static content on Instagram, pre-recorded videos on YouTube, and sometimes it's being a podcast guest to solidify your authority in the industry. The perfect content for your business is going to depend on your product and customer. But ultimately, content is the way of marketing these days. This also doesn't mean that they're in all of the places or that they even show up every single day, but they do put effort into creating quality content and they don't ghost their audience. So guilty, except for on the podcast. They show up where their customers are on a regular basis, providing value, entertainment, and education. And the thing about their content is they don't reinvent the wheel every time. If you look at Megan's content, it's mostly mini commercials about her products. The yarn store does a bi-weekly what's new in the shop video and talks about her own knitting projects. Last summer, I was a guest on the Shopify Across the Pond podcast, and I'll stick a link in the show notes if you want to take a listen. 
we were talking about this unfounded need for business owners to always feel like their content needs to be the newest, freshest thing all the time. I mentioned how when you look at the accounts with the highest reach and most engagement, they're actually recreating the same content over and over again. Adam, the host of the show, shared the perfect analogy that he had heard from someone else who he couldn't remember, otherwise I would totally give them credit right now. But think about your favorite musician. When you go to their concert, do you want to hear the new stuff or the greatest hits? 99% of the time, it's the greatest hits. Years ago, I think it was the Bonnaroo Music Festival in Tennessee, Metallica was headlining Saturday night. And while during the day there are multiple stages going on at once, those evening headliners are the only ones playing in their time slot. So pretty much every festival attendee was there. I don't remember exactly what they were playing or what new album they had at the time, but they started playing new music that people didn't really know, and the crowd was legit booing them. I felt terrible for them at the moment, but truth be told, I just wanted to hear the Black Album and some Ride the Lightning. And let's not forget... Consumers need to see and hear things multiple times before it clicks, so it's in your best interest to repeat things again and again. So, these seven-figure business owners, they're using social media and blogging to attract new customers, to inspire them, and to grow their email list. And then most of the time, the sale is happening in email. But their email marketing isn't all about selling. It's creating relationships, maintaining connections. Even if not every email leads to a sale from every customer, it's how they stay top of mind. So as soon as that person is ready to buy a product like theirs, they are the first person they think of. Because in addition to their automation, right, they have a solid, consistent email campaign strategy as well. And they send a lot of emails. A lot of people ask me, how many emails should I send a week? And the truth is, as many as your audience can tolerate. That's probably not the best word because it kind of has a negative connotation to it. But essentially, the more emails you send, typically the more money you make. And as long as you're sending emails your people love, you're good to go. At a minimum, you want to send at least one per week. And if you're ready to step up your game, check out episode 104 of the podcast where I walk you through how to incrementally increase your email sends. We also talk about how to gauge the response from your list through the data so you can make any necessary adjustments. Number four, they're not afraid to look dumb. This is probably one of the most important pieces to all of this because it means they're not afraid to try new things, put themselves out there, and risk being judged. They know that showing up for their people is more important than their own hangups. And when they push through the fear, a little bit of magic happens. A business coach once said to me, don't let your fear get in the way of your dreams. And if that dream is to have an online business, that means I needed to show up. I had to show my face. None of those things are comfortable, but it works. And it works a lot faster than hiding behind a logo. All the examples I gave today about other product-based people who are showing up, creating content in the places their perfect customer hang out are all showing up as themselves. 
That's not to say you can't be successful without being the face of your brand. There are plenty of examples where that is true. But generally, the more of yourself you can put into it, the faster you'll get to your goals. If you're still shy about being on camera, hear how I got over my fear of live video on episode 78 of the podcast. I will link it in the show notes. Number five, they implement product launches. Whether it's for their new products, collections, or promotions, they build hype and excitement before launch day so they have a group of warm customers to sell their products to. They realize their business is not about them and they can't expect their customers to just flock to them whenever they have something new to sell. They have to put in the work to get in front of them and keep them engaged. I've talked at length about how to run a product launch campaign in your e-commerce business in episode 127, and I teach the full process inside the Lounge e-commerce membership. This strategy is super powerful and works essentially in any e-com business. It grows your email list, builds your warm audience, and gives you predictable revenue spikes and cash injections when you need them. In fact, I have seen some clients actually sell out of all of their inventory before they opened the launch up to the public. Yeah, they sold out just to the early access list. The process just works. It's also something that you can consistently optimize over time for better results. You learn new things each time, you tweak your template along the way, but you're never starting from scratch, which saves you a ton of time and more importantly, mental energy. Number six, they invest. Whether that investment is in a service provider like me to set up their email automations, a strategist to run their social ads, or even just someone to pack and ship their orders, they know they can't do it all and they're not an expert in everything. Instead of wasting one resource we can't generate more of, time, they use a renewable resource, money, to fund the growth they want to see and the support they need in their business. This doesn't mean that you have to go out and spend a bunch of money at once or that it has to be some huge monetary investment. Sometimes that money is in education to hone a skill or in a low price membership like the lounge that you can get ongoing support in. The investment that's right for you is going to be different than what's right for someone else. And it all depends on where you're at, where you're trying to go, what skill set you have, etc. But it's almost impossible to grow a business without investing in it, period. Number seven, they're patient. Success does not happen overnight and they don't expect it to. And they know that even if things don't work out exactly as they planned, they tweak their approach and try again. Let's take the product launch process, for instance. The first time you do it, before you've trained your audience or if you're newer in business, it's not necessarily going to sell out your product or make you millions of dollars. But just because it doesn't meet all of your expectations from the jump doesn't mean you don't try it again. If the first reel you create doesn't go viral, that doesn't mean you never make another reel. Now, yes, there are some products that just aren't good products or aren't the right fit for the market. There is a point when a business is unlikely to really become the business you hoped it would be. There are tons of failed businesses and products that ran their course. 
but it's rare that I come across someone where I would think, eh, don't bother, you should throw in the towel. More often than not, there is some sort of pivot that needs to happen, or it's just a matter of getting in front of more people. For instance, I've been having some one-on-one calls with a lounge member. I feel like I've talked about her on the podcast. I'm getting a little deja vu. She has two websites. One has been around for a while, and it just sort of makes money on autopilot. It sells a niche product with a cult following that is hard to find in Canada, and their biggest problem is keeping the item in stock. She got a little bored with that business, so she started a line of her own products. She created this awesome brand around it and was basically starting from zero. Ultimately, it just wasn't really taking off the way she wanted. After chatting more and more about it, not only was the business not hitting her goals, but the way she structured it wasn't really supporting her long-term life goals either. It was all just a lot of work for not a lot of payoff. Eventually, the consensus was to lean back into the website that already had traction, rebrand her own product so they fell more in line with what she sold there, instead of trying to start a whole new brand and website from scratch. It's too soon to see whether or not that's going to work, but it's an easy enough pivot to test out without completely throwing in the towel on these products that she already put so much effort, energy, and money into that are amazing that the people who do buy them love, right? She just needs to be in front of more people. And it can be hard to find that line sometimes. There are a lot of variables that go into that and everyone's situation is different. But in most cases, people give up right before the scales are about to tip in their favor. Remember, the beginning of anything can be a little rocky. But once you carve out the right path and find your groove, you can fly toward your goals at lightning speed. Whoa, so this was pretty hefty for the first episode of the year and after a short hiatus, but there's such important things to keep in mind as you set out to strategize your plan for the year. So let's recap real quick the seven characteristics of seven-figure business owners. They have a clear niche. They know their customer. They lean into content and email. They're not afraid to look dumb. They implement product launches. They invest and they're patient. Make sure you tune in for the rest of the month. We're going to talk about setting your goals for the year, creating your marketing plan, and some other fun things. And one last thing before we go, in case you skipped the intro, Nicole and I are hosting the Confused to Conversion workshop starting January 10th. It's three days of training, all designed to set you up for success this year. Plus, we have a bonus Q&A session where you can get direct feedback from us. Go to ecommercebadassery.com forward slash CTC, cat, Tom, cat, to learn more and save your seat. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I am super grateful for you and so excited to support you in your business this year. Have a kick-ass day and I'll see you on the flip side, friend. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends. 
stay badass.